about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. The first reading this evening comes from Isaiah. It's the one that's printed in your handouts. Isaiah 8, verses 19 to chapter 9, verse 7. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and, looking upward, will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of the Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Uh, The second reading is the one which is not in the handout. It is Matthew 4, verses 12 to 17. If you've got a pew Bible, it's on page 785. Otherwise, you can just listen along, I guess. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison... He withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake, in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come near.
Well, hello everyone, my name is Peter, I'm one of the ministers here at church. It's just a, my great delight to be able to share with you from this passage from Isaiah that we've read uh, tonight. Let me pray. Father, we just ask that you will open our eyes to the glory of what the birth of Jesus really is, that the light of the world has come. Teach us this today, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for the Israelite people at the time of the prophet Isaiah, around 700 years before Jesus, these were very dark times. Now, today we are too familiar with scenes of utter destruction in Ukraine and Gaza and with instant access to images of unimaginable and indiscriminate cruelty. And so even though the media has brought the horrors of war into our homes, it's impossible for us to imagine the terror for people living in its midst. And we do pray for the end of war. For the people living in Jerusalem, when Isaiah wrote these words, these were the worst of times, the darkest of times. This was the height of the Assyrian war machine. The Assyrians were merciless invaders, well known for their cruelty. We know this because they proudly carved into the reliefs on their walls the depictions of their captives. We also know what was about to befall Israel. The Assyrians will wipe out all the northern tribes of Israel. They had a scorched policy of total destruction. Then they will lay waste to the southern tribe of Judah and they will surround Jerusalem and lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. What terror the inhabitants of Jerusalem must have felt. It was the darkest of times. But the imminent threat of the Assyrian army is not responsible for the darkness that Isaiah describes at the end of chapter 8. The real cause of their distress comes from their own spiritual darkness. When trouble comes, where do they turn? The reason these people walked in darkness was not that they lived at a time of war or that they lived under the threat of destruction. These people walked in darkness because they did not believe in God anymore. Look at chapter 8, verse 19. When trouble came, where did they go? When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? They ran off to mediums. They ran off to spiritists. God was not on their agenda at all. Now, if they just looked back at their history, they would have seen that God not only had the power to save, but God had promised to save if they remained faithful. God could and would have blessed them, but the word of God had no place in the hearts of this generation. They had abandoned God. They preferred to consult the dead and their, rather than turn to the Lord. And the worst of all was their king, King Ahaz. He may have been in the bloodline of King David, but there's not even a scent of David's faith in him. 
King Ahaz rebuilt all the, all the altars to foreign gods. Then he sacrificed his own children to those gods. He made alliances with other kings. Eventually, he ransacked the temple of all its gold in the hope of paying off the king of Assyria. So, make no mistake, they brought this upon themselves by their rejection of God and unfaithfulness to him. As God's chosen people, they had every advantage, but they chose the way of the world. Even when things sunk to their absolute worst, they don't turn to God, but they turn on God in anger and curse him. See the end of these verses, looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. Is there any hope for them? Any future for them? The last verse of chapter 8. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. The description can't get any worse. Thrust into utter darkness. Now, whilst this is a description of the abject failure of God's people to trust in God, it also describes the general human condition without God. People may feel enlightened, they may enjoy, find some joy in life, but without God, people are without hope. People live for a short time, they try and make the most of their lot, yet struggling with their own failures and regrets and addictions and unresolved conflicts, sicknesses, loss, grief. Life is hard for most people. And even for those for whom it's easy, they, many still struggle with issues of mental health and loneliness. And of course, money fails as an antidote to the darkness within. People struggle to find meaning and purpose because everything they put their hope in fails and then we die. People long for the light to break through, to set them free, but they don't know where to turn. The last verse of chapter 8 is an awful description of life without God. But then we read chapter 9. The light will shine. The dawn will break. Isaiah chapter 9 is one of those glorious passages in the Old Testament that looks forward to a day when God will save. And what we read here is a description of life that is so good, life that people could only dream of, of a future that will be glorious, a kingdom like no other of truth and peace. Look at the first verse of chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Not just a flickering light of a candle, a great light, like a spotlight on the front of the car that might stun the kangaroo in the night time. But no way more than that. This is a light that will shine on all people. Suddenly, God is going to turn the lights on. And human history will never be the same again. A new dawn will break. The people walking in darkness 
have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So I wonder how the first readers understood those words. It is a beautiful picture of hope. A new dawn will come, but not just for the people of Jerusalem, but for all Israel. Notice that the dawn will rise even on those parts of Israel that have been destroyed. See verse 1 again. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, (coughs) but in the future he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. These are the 12 tribes of Israel at that time. You'll see that Naphtali is that one up there and that is Zebulon there and there's the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River going down there. Zebulon and Naphtali were the most northerly tribes of Israel and they straddled the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. Those lands were utterly destroyed by Assyria. But when the dawn breaks, Galilee will have a place of special honour. Of course, we know Jesus was a Galilean. Our second reading from Matthew chapter 4 could not have been clearer that Jesus commenced his ministry in Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah here. Now, if you follow on your sheets there, verses 3 and 5, what transformation this new dawn will bring. In verse 3, Joy instead of gloom. In verse 4, freedom replaces oppression. In verse 5, peace, not war. Joy, freedom, peace. What great words. This is more than God's promise to save. God is going to create a future, a community vastly better than anything these Israelites could have imagined. It is more than people today can imagine or dare to dream. Totally undeserved. How will God do this? How will the new dawn break? Will God bring this new dawn through military might, making Israel more powerful, more oppressive than their enemies? Will God send a great warrior who can lead Israel to victory? Will God do it with subtle diplomacy? No, 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 none of those. These are the ways of people. These are the ways of King Ahaz. How will the light break through? Verse 6 tells us, but what we read are the last words we would expect. They almost read, as an anticlimax. For to us, a child is born. A child. God is powerful enough to destroy his enemies in an instant, again and again if he wants to. But each time Isaiah comes to the heart of the way God will deliver his people, that the new dawn will break through. And the glorious future will become a reality. A child's face peers out. 
We know that 700 years after Isaiah wrote these words, the dawn arrived. From the land of Galilee, a child is born, who is the light of the world. John describes it so well in his prologue to his gospel. Speaking of the coming of Jesus, he writes, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, Isaiah 9 is a wonderful prophecy of the coming of Jesus. It gives us one of the best descriptions of what is happening in that stable when Mary gives birth to the Christ child. The light of the world has come. But we read on. The child's no, of course, is no ordinary child. You know, Christmas people may see a nativity scene with a baby in a manger. Occasionally people, uh, the, the name of Jesus may be heard in a Christmas carol. If we're really lucky, he may even usurp the place of Santa. But few people have an inkling of who this baby born on that first Christmas truly is and why he came into the world. He is the light of the world. In verse 6, this child will be a ruler like no other. This child will rule. It says the government will be on his shoulders. He will sit on a throne. He will rule a kingdom. But he is a ruler like no other. Look at the four names given to him in the last part of verse 6. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. You know, in most cultures, a royal baby is born, all sorts of grandiose names and titles are heaped upon the child. In ancient days, the royal child was given names and titles that placed them among the gods. But of course, no king, no pharaoh ever lived up to the names they were given. Is that, is that all that this is here? Well, no, because the difference is that the Hebrews were not like those other cultures. They never considered their kings to be divine. This sort of language we're reading here is unheard of in Israel. You never read anything like this at any royal birth in the Old Testament. This point makes it all the more extraordinary that this prophecy can exist at all. This child truly will be wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. We become so disillusioned with our political leaders. We become cynical of the political system. In contrast, this child is all we could ever hope for. Who would not want to live under his rule? There's never been a king like this child. This child will be the ideal, the perfect king. He will have no equal. He will have no rival. He is the king of kings. Compare him to King Ahaz. King Ahaz is the model of all earthly kings and rulers, arrogant, self-reliant. This prophecy speaks of a child, vulnerable, humble. This king will rule in a way no earthly king has or ever can rule. 
wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Then in verse 7, this child will rule a kingdom like no other. Look at the kingdom that this child will rule. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go. This kingdom will never end. This child will himself establish and uphold his kingdom with justice and righteousness. Don't we long for that? Now we may fear the effects of global warming and the threat of nuclear destruction. We have every reason to fear. But nothing can ever defeat his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it forever. When we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we also celebrate the coming of this kingdom breaking into human history. Here again, the words from Jesus' own mouth in that reading we had from Matthew chapter 4. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Friends, this is, this is good news. Very good news. The kingdom prophesied in Isaiah 9 is, is no pipe dream. It has arrived with the arrival of Jesus. And the life that Jesus lived shows us what life is like in his kingdom. When Jesus performs miracles, he shows us that in his kingdom there will be no more pain, sickness or death. His love of people, particularly the vulnerable and marginalised, teaches us that his kingdom is full of grace and kindness. His unflinching condemnation of hypocrisy and deceit teaches us that his kingdom is perfect justice. Jesus' words were always words of truth. Through his death on the cross, he defeats the forces of evil and darkness. And in his resurrection, he offers all who follow him new and everlasting life. The kingdom prophesied in Isaiah 9 has come. And Jesus offers you the invitation to enter, repent, turn to Christ, make him your king. Come. Let me finish by talking about the light of Jesus in our dark world today. The light of Jesus in our dark world today. Every year, the Mind, Body, Spirit Festival is held in Darling Harbour. According to the program, this festival has become a leading light of discovery and understanding. Now, one sem seminar some years ago, led by a man called Robert Kirby, catches for us the spirit of today. This is the promo to his seminar. It reads... Robert Kirby has inspired many others to reach their potential by healing wounds and patterns that stand in the way of wholeness. Embracing the dark side of his soul has enabled Robert to effectively guide others through their shadow and into the light of truth and freedom. Robert Kirby understands something of the darkness within himself and in every person, the need for healing, the need for wholeness, 
we would echo all of that plus more for the Bible is clear about the darkness within us. But Robert Kirby does more than acknowledge our darkness. He promises to guide us into the light. Look within. For it is from within you, he says, that the light will shine. Now I mention this seminar because it touches on a common belief today, the power of the self. All that's needed for a person to reach their potential is locked inside here. You have the power. If you just embrace your darkness, you can come into the light. All you need to do is learn the techniques that can enable you to unleash your amazing energy and potential. You can do it. I'm sure there is untapped potential in every person. Sounds attractive. But does the light that sets us free from the darkness really reside within each of us and all we need to do is learn how to turn it on? Can the new dawn simply rise from within? As much as people know and experience the darkness around them and within them, I don't think people today understand how dark the darkness really is. A few chapters earlier, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah had a vision of coming into the presence of God. God is holy, utterly different from you and me. So almighty is God that in the vision, just the train of, of God's robe filled the whole temple. In the presence of the holy God, suddenly Isaiah could see who he really was, and he cried out, Woe is me, I am ruined. He, he knew he could not stand in the presence of this holiness and live. When he is in the light of God, he realizes how dark the darkness is in him. He is ruined, helpless, lost, dead. He couldn't embrace the darkness and overcome it. He needed God to save him. And God did. We are spiritually dead. We need God to save us. We need his light, the true light, the light of the world to shine and free us from the darkness. Truth and freedom are not found in here, but they're found in God. <clears throat> Isaiah 9 tells us, the light that will set you free has shone with the birth of the Christ child. The dawn came upon the world when a star pointed to the place where Jesus was born. Hallelujah. Later, Jesus spoke these words about himself. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. There is a promise worth exploring. Jesus is the light because he's come from above, from the Father in heaven into the world. He brings the light of truth as he speaks the words of God. He brings light to the eyes of the blind. He brings the light of life when he causes the dead to rise. 
Jesus had no need to embrace his own darkness because in him there was no darkness. He was the one person who could stand in the presence of God. So how does Jesus free you from the darkness? We're told that Jesus, who was without sin, became sin for us. That is, when Jesus died on the cross, he embraced your darkness. He took our darkness upon himself. That is why when Jesus hung on the cross in the middle of the day, the sky went dark for three hours. Jesus took your sin and my sin upon himself and in himself bore the wrath, the judgment for sin that we deserved. Jesus died in our place for our forgiveness and rose again in victory. Jesus embraced our darkness to set us free. He did for you what you can't do for yourself. It's a terrifying thing to walk in the darkness. Yet that is the condition of most people in our world. Light, joy, peace, freedom. Oh, these things do seem like pipe dreams to people. History tells us that we'll never realize these things. But God has. That is the gospel. God has already done it in his son. That is why you need to know where your hope lies. So you don't fall into the same foolishness as those Israelites and forget God. Nor believe that you can break free of the darkness in your own strength. To us, a child is born. This child, born on the first Christmas is the light of the world sent by God the Father for our salvation. Look to the cross where he died for you. Look to Jesus who took your darkness upon himself for your forgiveness. That is the good news of Christmas. The light of truth and freedom has come into the world. May you know the true light. May it expel the darkness and fill you with hope and joy and love and peace this Christmas and for eternity. Father, we want to thank you for the wonderful promise that you gave to Isaiah, to the people at that time, but also a prophecy that we can read, written so many years before Jesus came, but clearly speaking of Jesus, that Jesus is the one who came into the world to fulfill all the things spoken of that child, to be the light of the world. Father, we thank you that we can celebrate the coming of Jesus, but not just at Christmas time, because this child, Father, Jesus, sets us free that we might belong to his kingdom, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of righteousness, and a kingdom that will last forever. We thank you, Father, that we can come freely into that kingdom through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.